Welcome to the Organic Gardener Podcast. I'm your host, Jackie Marie Beyer. Let's get growing. Hey, everyone. Have you been to the Organic Gardener Podcast website and signed up for our email list? If you go there, you will get my new PDF, Seven Awesome Ways to Find More Time in Your Garden. And it's just some tips that I've learned from listening to my amazing guests who are always sharing with us super effective ways to be a better gardener. So if you um, head over to the organicgardenerpodcast.com and enter your email, you'll get seven awesome ways to find more time in your garden. You can also get a copy of our ebook of Organic Gardening Basics. And just um, all the show notes are there, all the links to our show. So, and I'll be sending out some golden seeds newsletters as I get them done. And of course, you'll get a special invitation to join the Organic Gardener Podcast Facebook community. Hope to see you there. Welcome to episode 166 of the Organic Gardener Podcast today. And I'm super excited because I have a guest who's going to talk about cooking and the nutritious value of um, good, healthy, organic vegetables and nutritious food. And a lot of you know, I'm really working on improving my diet for 2017. So I'm very excited to hear what she has to say. And she has a cookbook with lots of good nutritional recipes. So um, here to share with us today is Sally Fallon. So welcome, Hi, Sally. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us on this, um, I don't know if it's cold. You're in Washington, D.C., right? It's pretty cold here, yes. <laughs> okay. So, and I'm in Montana, so it's pretty cold, but it's beautiful. It looks like the sun's coming out. We have lots of snow this year, so it's been kind of fun that way. So, um, well, do you just want to tell listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, yes, I am. Uh, my expertise is not gardening. I am a writer and I wrote the book Nourishing Traditions and founded the Weston A. Price Foundation. And we advocate for a return to nutrient dense foods and um, and non-toxic foods. So that's where the organic gardening comes in, organic gardening and farming. I live on a farm. My husband and I bought this farm in 2009, and we've been farming for the last five years. We have a dairy herd. We make raw cheese. We uh, sell raw pet milk on our farm. We sell pastured pork, uh, pastured eggs, uh, pastured chicken and pastured turkey plus we have a store uh, on the farm where we sell local products and as far as vegetables are concerned we sell a lot of lacto-fermented foods so we sell sauerkraut uh, various types of natural pickles we sell a beverage called beet kvass which is fermented beet juice uh, so we do we are not selling produce we'd like to someday but right now we do sell the fermented vegetable foods well so, this is just so exciting um yeah. because well in montana for one thing they just came out with this new cottage food law so they're trying yeah. to encourage people to have more businesses like that that um sell these yeah. kind of products and my husband yeah, we, we do try to about... um uh, support i mean it's not just for ourselves but we try to support local businesses so for example we have a gal who makes a sauerkraut for us we have a gal making a delicious lacto-fermented beverage 
we have um, we sell some natural ketchup in the store and some natural uh, what we call crispy nuts, <clears throat> which are nuts that have been soaked in salt water and then dehydrated, and that brings out the flavor a lot more and makes them more digestible. So uh, we are um, we sell maple syrup and maple sugar, local honey. And it's interesting about the produce because my last, let's see, last year for the first time in my life, I had a greenhouse with vegetables growing in it, a hoop house. First time I'd done that. And I've ended up having a lot of respect for people who grow vegetables (laughs) because it's not easy. (laughs) And I can go into some of the problems I had, but um, I, I think of all the things that are done in farming, Vegetable growing is the hardest. It takes skill, and it's risky, and you lose crops, and you really have to know what you're doing. And I definitely did not know <laughs> know what I was doing. Aww. Well, I'm so glad you're being honest and sharing that with us. Maybe you'll want to listen to the Organic Gardener podcast and pick up some right, tips that's what on I need what to, to do, do right. next year because yeah. I know a lot of times you get that bug. But so what you don't like, my husband's really the big gardener at our house because I'm mm. like you and I like to grow. I'm more like if I'm going to grow anything at all, it's going to be more like flowers. I do dabble <laughs> in lettuce. I am the big vegetable eater at our house. Oh, okay. Well, we're big but, vegetable um, eaters. Yeah. I definitely uh, do not have the green thumb at all. My husband has it. And I totally understand your pain and, like, can feel like And I know what it's <laughs> like. And even my well, husband, I mean, what he's done, like, he has persevered through some tough times and, you know, really. Um, it's a big you learning know, curve. Yeah. yeah. I started out with, um, we put some raised beds in. We bought some railroad ties and behind the house we put in five raised beds and I have had very good luck with strawberries Uh, we've done very well with rhubarb Uh, asparagus is doing well Um, but the more tender things I've had problems with and not just um, the weather but my biggest challenge is groundhogs (laughs) and we have a real big groundhog population here and they can eat a whole raised bed in one night (laughs) and you come out the next day and it's gone Um, one of my big uh, challenges I've made for myself um, I want to grow French beans, the real tender beans. Mm. And I could not do that with the groundhog. (laughs) He just liked them too. He liked the beans even more than I did. So last year I bought some of these little cute little cages that go over the beans. And um, I got a nice crop of beans, but the cages were actually too 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 small, and the beans were a little bit stunted. They they kind of grew into the cage, and then they couldn't grow anymore. Oh. But it kept the groundhogs away. <laughs> That's a good one. I had a guest on who kind of lives near here, near me, up by the Canadian border, and she was talking about, or I don't know if we found it after, but like putting bottles like old wine bottles or some kind of bottles in the ground. I want to say upside down. Oh, and yeah? And then what it does is it creates this really loud noise through kind of their tunnels that they don't like of the wind blowing. How does it oh, work? Oh. I have oh, to look I'll... up that episode. Yes. It was yes. with Naomi Wheat, I think. And uh, she runs our fair. And she came uh-huh. and talked about, or she runs the farmer's market, not the fair, sorry. She uh-huh. runs our farmer's market, and she and I did an interview with her, and she, I'm pretty sure that was something she was trying. And then 
Maybe the bottles are sticking up and you even have to put like something that rattles in them or you have to put an umbrella over them so they don't get wet. I can't remember how to look that up, but that might work. Uh, well, and yes, I, and I found that you know, cages work. I, but cages I, are I, essential. Yep. For things yeah, I invested like... in these little, uh, they're really cute little French looking cages and uh-huh. they did, did oh, work. Yeah. And um, I've, uh, I grew some lettuce with those cages fairly successfully but then you know so we started off with uh, these raised beds and then we got oh, put in a, a hoop Hello? house can you hear mm. me oh yep you're back okay. um, so we you, we okay yeah can you looks hear like me? we're okay. still recording and everything just a little right. bleep there well i um so we put a hoop house in a pretty big one oh. and um uh we um so last spring, I planted in the hoop house, and I did. I was very ambitious. I did spinach, lettuce, um, parsnips, tomatoes, eggplant, peppers, zucchini, cucumbers, beets, potatoes, and well, that's all. And chard. So some that's of a them. That's Yeah. Some of them did really well. The chard did really well. Um, peppers did well. I got zero tomatoes. I, I, I literally, I got no tomatoes last year. Uh, but the big, the big surprise was I had this big uh, patch of parsnips growing, and they're really, you know, they're really pretty vegetable. They have beautiful green yeah, leaves. Okay. And uh, I was so proud of them, and I thought, we just leave this in the ground, let the parsnips get big. And uh-huh. I came in one day, and the leaves were eaten clean. And then I looked uh-huh. around, and sure enough, there was a hole at the end of the hoop house where the groundhog had gotten in. And that's what he uh-huh. wanted first, was the parsnip tops. So I, I actually um, dug those up, and we ate them, but they were kind of small. And uh-huh. that groundhog, he even ate... Um, the zucchini leaves, which I thought they he wouldn't eat. Uh, so I did get potatoes, beets, um, peppers, and um, what was the other one? When I you said, say oh, you're chard. not a gardener. <laughs> Sounds like you yeah. were pretty successful. But uh, here, here was the real, the real bad thing. So I, I'd go in and weed every morning, and I was gone for two weeks, just two weeks, to a family wedding out in California. And I came back, and I have a funny picture of this greenhouse. It, it is unrecognizable. The, the grass, the weeds grew so tall that they pretty much covered everything. And that was just in two weeks. So, uh, I mean, it took me a Perfect long time. Perfect growing to get conditions. Yeah. Uh-huh. And here in Maryland, um, there's this, a couple of months where things grow so fast, it's kind of scary. And my husband, who comes oh. from New Zealand, said he, he really has never seen growth like what we get here in sort of May and June. It's it's just stunning. It's amazing. But anyway, that I've, I've learned a few lessons. I'm going to do things a little bit differently this year. I One thing I did not do was fertilize at all. And I'm definitely going to put some organic fertilizer on the tomatoes. I think that was my mistake there. Oh, could be. They like a healthy soil. And I know Mike always adds compost a couple of times during a season. He does. And we just can be tough, though. Yeah, we put it on at the beginning, but um, um, didn't do it at the end. So you're asking about recipes. And, and um, 
there's really, to me, there's really two ways of preparing vegetables. One is to, well, let's say three. Uh, your salad vegetables, of course, you make a salad with. Uh, the cooking vegetables, you cook. And you always have those vegetables with some kind of good fat. Now, in our house, it's butter. And we eat our vegetables swimming in butter. And always you put salt on your vegetables. And you get a lot more from the vegetables when you cook them that way. So maybe you cook, add butter. Maybe you, uh, the eggplant, we actually fry in lard. Um, we put cream on our vegetables. But you want some kind of fat with those vegetables. And the other thing you can do is the lacto-fermentation. You can make sauerkraut or pickles or fermented salsa or I mean it's just a, a whole range of things you can do and um, that you do with a culture starter and I use whey and salt and these recipes are all in my book Nourishing Traditions. But it's a great way to preserve your garden and you have those uh, all, all winter long and the nutrients actually increase when you lacto ferment them. For example if you make sauerkraut the level of vitamin C goes up tenfold. You get ten times more vitamin C really? in sauerkraut than you get in the cabbage. The B vitamins go up. Because uh, people are always talking about that's so popular. Well, I don't know if it's just these days, but it seems like I've been hearing about it so much about eating the lacto-fermented and fermented foods and yeah. um, yes. sauerkraut well, and pickles and things. Yeah, that, and so that I didn't also, know that it had more vitamin C. Uh, yes. And that all started with my book, Nourishing Traditions, and in the book I developed ways of doing this on a small scale that's foolproof and um, don't have any, uh, you know, um, things, you don't have things that go wrong when you do it according to my method. And um, and so that's, you know, the second basic way of preparing vegetables. Now, I would like to talk about tomatoes for a minute because, you know, you end up with okay. a big crop of tomatoes. And here's what I do with them. I, um, I actually peel them. You dip them in hot water for a few seconds and then they, the peel comes off. I cut them in half and kind of squeeze out the seeds and chop them. And then I saute some onions in some butter or uh, some good fat. And then I put those uh, chopped, seeded, peeled tomatoes in there. And I actually cook them a at low temperature a long time even even all day and um, then you can put your whiz in there and your um, you know your soup blender and blend that and then you go ahead and freeze it and you have a beautiful a slightly caramelized tomato paste that way and that makes a great soup uh, great to add to sauces but it's a great way to really make those tomatoes uh, just taste delicious and then you can sit and you can cool. freeze them. And, and of course, you're going to end up, you end up with lots of tomatoes and don't know what to do with them. Uh, and that's what I do with them. I spend a day with a, several great big pots on the stove, just slowly cooking those uh, tomatoes. Okay. That's a great answer. And I used to have a question where I asked all the time, what do you, do you have a good tip for preserving or just harvesting, like doing some, that's always my problem. It seems to be like everything comes on at the same time and I'm I, overwhelmed with like a ton of vegetables and just, um, I used to ask that all the time. So that's a great recipe. Um, yeah. And easy and then, to do. And then, I like the way it's so simple. Uh, you know, um, so things like beets, uh, beets I ferment. I make a beet um, 
sort of pickle beets, but I mostly make the beet kvass, which is you, you take a jar, quart-sized jar, and you chop up um, about, it could be one large beet. You, you peel it and just coarse, coarsely chop it and put it in there. Um, you add, fill it with water, and then you add a tablespoon of good sea salt, unrefined salt, and two tablespoons of homemade whey, which you make by draining yogurt. And that's your inoculant, that's your starter culture. And that starts to ferment, and you leave it on the counter for a few days, and then it goes in the fridge, and this, these will last for a year or longer. And it's a very healthy, I call it a medicinal drink that is fermented beet, beet juice. But that's what I do with the beets. Of course, potatoes and onions will keep a long time if you keep them cold. Um, uh, things like zucchini, <laughs> and you end up with tons of zucchini. That's a little bit harder to know what to mm -hmm. do with. I don't actually have that problem as much with zucchini because my solution to zucchinis is I eat them when they're really small. And so then I eat oh, more and I put zucchini on like everything. I put on sandwiches and eggplants, but oh. I pick them when they're like the size of a quarter. And so then really? I end up with those oh. giant zucchinis yeah. and they keep, you know, they keep producing. But yeah, I just like to eat them when they're small. And Very so then small. I don't, so you mean that's when the, the one vegetable I the don't diameter. have as big of a problem. A diameter of a quarter. Yeah, the diameter is like the oh, okay. size of a quarter. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's when I oh, that's, I'll try that next year. So it kind of like you keeps up... them fresh and eating them. Yeah. And then I, I put yeah. zucchini in everything. So, but other things I have hard time with, eggplants is for it... sure. Oh, now we we love eggplant. And um, uh, here's how I prepare eggplant. I, um, I peel cool. them and slice them. And um, mm -hmm. sprinkle salt on all the slices, both sides, and just let them mm -hmm. sit for a couple hours. Oh. You know, that black juice comes out. And then I, I actually wash them off and dry them, the slices with paper towels. And then I fry them. And they are so delicious mm. that way. Uh, fry them and make a platter of fried zucchini and with uh, sprinkle some chopped garlic on the top of that. And uh, that is a real favorite in our household. But you're right. You end up with lots of zucchini. Okay. Yeah, I, like I do <laughs> eat a lot of zucchini. Just, I mean, lots of eggplants. Excuse me, I meant to say uh, lots of Just eggplants. fried like that, but. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. That's what I was I thinking, think too. Very important I, just, to salt. Like, I don't even peel them either because I like the peels. But, yeah, the salting part. But I never heard the flip it over part, so I like that. The, the what? Salt both sides. Oh, yeah, salt both sides. And then actually wash them off and dry them. Yeah. Yeah. After and then do you a dip them in any kind of breading? Just fry you them can, plain? You definitely can do that. I, I don't. Uh, they're just as good not dipped, but you can dip them in batter, breading. Um, yeah, I mean, you can make a thicker slice and bread them, which is just delicious. Absolutely delicious. Uh, yum. Uh, and the other thing, like, you're making me think that um, I usually, because I get so spoiled with um, Mike's beets and things, I don't mm -hmm. usually buy tomatoes in the winter. And usually I just put pickled beets on my salads. And so I didn't realize that that was like getting a little fermented food in that way. 
Yeah. Besides. Yeah. You can, you can pickle those beets and there's recipes in my oh. book, nourishing traditions, how to do that. And you're getting, you know, when you do this the right way, the true lacto fermentation, I'm not, not vinegar, not pasteurizing, but lacto fermentation. When you eat the sauerkraut or the pickled beets or the beet kvass, you are getting um, a lot of good digestive enzymes and you're getting a lot of beneficial bacteria Yeah. for for your own digestion. So uh, we really should be eating these fermented foods with every meal. And of course, if you grow your own, that's oh. even better. I mean, that's just like the best of the best. <laughs> so mm-hmm. have you ever with grown... every meal? I thought as long as you had like a tablespoon a day, it was good. That's what I meant, you know, with lunch or dinner or both. And just a tablespoon is all you need. Okay. Mm-hmm. And have you ever grown celery? Mm-hmm. I thought I'd try that this year. We've grown celery. I haven't been the most successful with it. But you know where I did find a really good deal on celery seeds? It's if you mm-hmm. go to the health food store or our health food store, mm-hmm. like, you know, and buy them in bulk where they yeah. sell like the celery seed for cooking with. Those yes, work great uh-huh. just for seeds, and it's a lot less expensive than buying a packet of celery seeds. Oh, okay. We did it one year, and I remember doing something with, like, putting, like, a milk carton or an orange juice carton, you know, around it so it would grow up straight for some reason. Oh, okay. I have struggled with celery. Oh, I know. okay. <laughs> I like to grow celery. You know what I do? I do more Swiss chard because celery's been a challenge. But I have uh-huh. to grow more celery again. Yeah, well, uh, this is chart, you know, and I told you hard. I came back and all those weeds had grown up. <laughs> the only place where the weeds yeah. hadn't grown was where the Swiss chard was because it's so vigorous. It just kept everything out. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I've not had good luck with cucumbers I either. I Swiss chard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh. I've always thought cucumbers were hard, but Mike grows cucumbers like they're growing out of style. He's got like a Is great that right? thing for them. And he starts them from itty bitty seeds. He doesn't yeah. buy the plants. He starts them from seeds. Yeah. And he's always had good luck. But like I said, he has a green thumb. He can grow just about anything. Oh, it's uh, I want to hear about the Weston A. Price Foundation. Okay. Tell us a little okay. bit about that. All right. So it's named after Weston Price, who was a dentist who traveled to different parts of the world to study isolated peoples. And he found... Um, 14 groups that were extremely healthy with beautiful teeth, uh, beautiful straight teeth, no cavities, and, you know, well-formed. They had good fertility. Their babies were healthy, and they were healthy. They didn't have any kind of chronic disease. So then he looked at their diets, and the diets were all very different. The South Seas diet was obviously different from the Alaska diet, and that's West diet, and the, uh, you know, uh, the Outer Hebrides diet. So uh, he wanted to answer this question, what's a healthy diet? And um, what it comes down to is nutrient density. Uh, These diets were all very dense in nutrients, really high in minerals. There's where your organic gardening comes in. But also very high in three vitamins that we get only from animal organs and fats. These are vitamins A, D, and K. And without these vitamins, we can't absorb minerals. And this is why we say you put the 
water on your vegetables and you will be able to absorb all the minerals in the vegetables because of the butter. So when you add butter or cream or uh, good animal fat to your vegetables, you are turning those vegetables into a nutrient-dense food. And you're ensuring that all you're going to absorb uh, and assimilate everything that's in those vegetables. Uh, by the way, all these cultures had salt. Salt is very important. Uh, salt, the word for salt comes from the uh, Roman word for salad because you always they always put salt on their salad so the salt is a for reasons not entirely understood the salt is very important to have with our vegetables wow well thanks for explaining that so anyway um so dr price um we we founded the organization uh because we're very concerned about the government guidelines which are not promoting nutrient-dense foods. Nutrient-dense foods include things like liver, organ meats, um, egg yolks, uh, fish eggs was a very important nutrient-dense food among these people. And then the fats like butter and cream, whole raw milk, uh, these are all things that we promote. And of course we promote um, you know, the good quality organic vegetables uh, eaten with the animal fats so that they're really, uh, you really get the most from them. How interesting. Uh, Mandy Gertz was the first one to really explain what nutrient-dense gardening was, and she talked about the Western A. Price Foundation. Oh. Um, mm -hmm. And her episode's like my, I don't know, definitely in one of my top five episodes mm -hmm. I ever listened to. She's just this amazing, super, I call her the um, Gardening CrossFit Hall of Famer from last <laughs> year because she is like, her and her husband grow like two acres of vegetables, just the two of them. And he mostly handles the animals and she does most of the work in the garden. And uh -huh. what they take to the farmer's market and feed their CSAs, what these two young kids do, which, I mean, I don't know, they're millennials. They're probably not that young. They have three kids and just, not only that, they're raising three kids while they're doing all this work. And it's just, um, That's like you said, I, I, it's a I, lot I, of work. But she, she was the first one to mention the... Um, Weston A. Price Foundation and just really talked well, about how much she learned from there and, you know, it all fits into their, um, you know, kind of goal as a farmer and a steward of the environment and just caring for her family and other people. Well, we were the first organization to talk about fermented foods oh. and the importance of having them in the diet. We were the first organization to talk about bone broth and how important that is. And since we're talking about bone broth, um, you know, one of the best ways to eat your vegetables is in soup. And um, when my kids were growing up, we, I mean, I made two or three pots of soup a week. Uh, and that's really how I got them to eat their vegetables. They, they didn't know it, but they were eating vegetables they didn't like. <laughs> but they were in the soup. <laughs> Hidden in the soup. And then you do that with a beautiful bone broth and you add cream or something like that. So you have your fat-soluble vitamins. And soup is just such a wonderful food. And as I always say, because a lot of people actually don't like vegetables, you know, don't mm -hmm. like to eat vegetables. I say the best way to eat vegetables for people like that is to make a delicious soup. My husband likes to eat his vegetables in soup. We eat a lot of soup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so do you want to explain to listeners anything about like bone broth? Okay, so um, I actually wrote a book called Nourishing Broth, uh, 
And one of the characteristics of traditional cultures is that they all made use of the bones in some way. Uh, in very primitive cultures, they actually took the tiny bones from birds and little animals and ground them up and added them to their food. I was just reading a book about the Indians of the Gulf Coast of uh, United States and um, the first people there described exactly that. They ground up the bones and added them to their food. Um, but if they did any kind of cooking, uh, they would cook the bones in water and use that. Now, the Indians of the northern part of America, um, they would cook by putting rocks in a pitch-lined basket to make the water boil, and they would put bones in there. And they considered that bone broth more important than water and more healthy than water. Uh, so, um, and all over the world, you find people made soup with the bones. Now, what you're getting when you make soup with the bones, because you've got the joints and the cartilage and everything, you're getting melted cartilage, melted collagen, basically. And collagen, we have more collagen than muscle in our bodies. We need collagen, and the broth actually feeds and supports that collagen. So, you get good... Um, um, joints and uh, your skin has a layer of collagen right underneath so you get good skin. Your digestive tract is lined with a layer of collagen so that helps with digestion. I mean we have collagen everywhere in our body and just like we need the muscle meats we need the, um, the collagen part of the animal as well. Do you want to talk any about like your the animals on your farm and the food that you sell from Oh, okay. Well, we our signature product is our um, raw artisan cheese, which we make from whole milk. We are even very careful with our milk. For example, our milk does not go through a pipe. Uh, we milk into cans. We're very gentle with our milk, and uh, the milk is um, the cheese is made according to you know old time methods and it ages and it's just delicious it's a natural yellow color because our cows eat grass and um, the cheese like that cheese from cows eating grass is a real powerhouse of nutrition if you had to have one food and you could only have that food and you want to live <laughs> uh, cheese would be the food because cheese has everything in it has all the oh my minerals. Gosh, I love you. <laughs> Calcium. <laughs> I've been like, how am I going to like, I need to like cut down on my cheese and just, I've been like, oh, no, this cheese. week's been kind of tougher on me, but me, we've been is... talking about maybe getting a cow or something. Uh, yeah. Well, cheese is, it's got the right fats in it. It's got the fat soluble vitamins, A, D, and K. In fact, cheese is our best source of vitamin K. Uh, it's If it's made from raw milk, it'll be a source of vitamin C. And it's even a probiotic food. Uh, we were talking about things like sauerkraut, but cheese has more mm -hmm. uh, good bacteria in it than yogurt. It's a real probiotic food. So that's that's our centerpiece. And then when you make cheese, of course, you have whey left over. And um, that's a big problem in the industry, but it's not a problem for us because we feed the whey to our pigs. So we have whey-fed pigs, and that's yeah. the European way. The whey from Parmesan cheese goes to the pigs that they raise for prosciutto ham in Italy. 
So oh, how interesting. That, that was the first thing my husband said. If we have a cow, we have to have pigs. Uh, yeah. I just wanted to say really quick. So I had this one friend of mine who lives up here. She lives like on top of this mountain. It's like crazy. They have to like totally snowmobile in or ski in in the winter because yeah. they're just way on top of a mountain. But she has a cow and she makes homemade cheese and it is some of the best cheese you've ever yeah. tasted in your yeah. life. So how many cows do you have? So right now, this year we milk 16. and uh, 16 year, cows? Yeah, next year it'll be 23. And we want, oh we're, our goal is 30. Our goal is 30 cows. So it'll take us a couple more years to get there. Um, we also sell raw milk. Uh, we have to label it as pet milk, but we do sell raw milk. We're one of the few farms in the state of Maryland that does sell raw milk. And then we uh, sell our... Um, pigs uh, our pork and by the way uh, we make our own grain mix for them we don't use any soy any corn no gmos uh, we make our grain mix with field peas sorghum and um, um, barley basically and we grind that on the farm and add their minerals uh, to that uh, so we also raise uh, laying hens for eggs, and then we, in these warm months, we raise meat birds. And again, that's all pasture raised. We move them every day to new pasture, and we actually butcher the chickens on the farm. Oh, <laughs> it sounds like such a nice place. Yeah, well, it's a lot of work. You can see why I don't that's have funny all because that much you know, time for gardening. Go ahead. No, because you're farming. When I went to college, there was this girl like, so I'm actually a New Yorker. I grew up in New York and my whole life, I dreamed about moving to Montana. Well, when <sighs> I went to college, I met this girl and she's like, I just want to move to Maryland. Doesn't oh. that just sound so pretty? Oh. And she would just like, she was like, she was going as soon as she graduated college to Maryland because she thought it sounded so pretty. And this is exactly what I think she was dreaming of. Well, it is a beautiful it's state. It's just a beautiful state. I mean, it's green and um, lovely landscapes. And then, of course, we are, we're close to a river and we have the Chesapeake Bay. So it's very lush and, um, you know, rich state in that respect. But agriculture is um, um, not doing so well in Maryland. Um, they used to raise a lot of tobacco here, which they don't anymore. And unfortunately, that's really been replaced by corn and soybeans. So there's not very much money in that for the farmers. Uh, that's interesting. But so then I would think there's lots of farmer market options like in Washington, D.C., because Maryland's right near there, like that there would be markets yes. for people who are yes, interested no, in that is true. We have food. a good... We have a good market. You know, we have Mar we have Washington D.C., we have Annapolis, we have Baltimore as mm -hmm. markets for our food. So yes, in that respect, uh, it's it's very good. Okay. Uh so we've been chatting for a while, and I haven't even asked my first question that I always do like to ask. Like, what was your very first gardening experience like? Were you a kid or an adult? Like, what'd you grow or who were you with? Like, your very first garden that you remember as far back as you remember. Uh, you know, um, I actually come from a family of gardeners. My Both my parents like to garden. Uh, my grandmother on my mother's side was a great gardener. And my grandfather on my father's side was a great gardener. Uh, so my first gardens were just the gardens in the houses where I lived. And I always planted flowers. 
Uh, my favorite was zinnias. I love to get a big crop of zinnias oh. in the summer. They're so pretty. Uh, uh, then, uh, if I could, I would have a little herb garden. But I never had a vegetable garden until we came to the farm. I just didn't have enough land for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, before we get to the root of things, we're going to thank our sponsors and affiliate links. It's all about handcrafted soaps and apron love here at Simply Josephine. Located in Montana's beautiful Tobacco Valley, I create everything from my home studio. Currently, I offer six different kinds of handmade soaps, three different salves, using wild-crafted plant medicine from right here in our beautiful valley. In addition to my body care products, I also make several styles of aprons. Everything is available at simplyjosephine.com. We want to share a little love with the Organic Gardener podcast listeners. We're offering 15% off. Use code OGP15 at checkout. Thanks and have a beautiful day. Simplyjosephine.com. Organified Green Juice is a gently dried superfood mix that supports health, mental clarity, while detoxifying your body all in one delicious drink. What I love about Organify, it makes me feel great. It's easy. It doesn't take much time. It's full of nutrients and superfoods that I have a hard time getting anywhere else, and it just tastes delicious. Now, as a teacher, you all know that our days are, our time is totally limited. I have kids in my classroom since 7.30 in the morning till 6 o'clock at night. Um, so just even using this simple thing can be difficult for me, but I can pull it off and so can you. If you want to feel good and get all your um, greens in a simple, easy drink, remember um, you can get a discount as an Organic Gardener podcast listener by entering code OGP16 and Organifi will give you a 15% discount now. So just go to Organifi.com um, and when you go to check out, enter code OGP16, and they'll give you 15% off your order anytime. Now, let's get to the root of things. So, at the end of my show, I kind of have this thing. It's kind of like the lightning round in other people's where I um, talk about getting to the root of things. Mm-hmm. And so, like, do you have an activity that would be like your least favorite activity to do when you do get in the garden? Hmm. It's funny because I don't mind weeding. Uh, I really don't. Um, I, I like all of the activities of gardening. It's just you feel so satisfied um, either planting the seeds or weeding a row or picking what you've grown. Uh, what what I don't like is a sense of not having enough time to do it because I'm so busy here with other things. And I wish I did have more time. Now, this year, I do think I have someone who's going to help me. Um, because it's very frustrating to see the garden you've planted get overrun with weeds or things not getting picked because you don't have time. Oh, I hear you there. Um, for sure. And that's like, I made a PDF of seven awesome ways to save time or to have, find more time to garden mm-hmm. that, that oh, yeah. because of that. And there's this woman, uh, Megan Kane, who comes on a lot, who talks about strategy. She's like the strategy expert on how to be the most effective, you know, efficient grower so that the time you are spending in your garden is productive. And so you are more satisfied at the end of the season, like really mm-hmm. focusing on the things that you want to grow that you're actually going to eat. Yes is one of the yes. keys for um 
you yes, know, don't grow I, things if just because everybody's growing zucchinis if you're never going to eat a zucchini. You right. Know, just like different yeah. different tips and stuff. But um, yeah, I, I, I do totally agree understand that. that. Time's a big one for me, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because uh, I'm always working at least one full-time job, if not more. Plus, I do my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm, I'm a painter. Like, my, my thing to do in the garden really is, like, go sit down there and paint. Like, I like to paint or take pictures so I can paint them in the winter. Like, I like to paint the flowers. And I like to grow flowers like you do. And I'm going to focus on herbs this year. Got any herb tips? Because that's one of the things I think I'm going to focus on a little more this year. Yes. Um, for growing herbs? I, I- I did really well with basil uh, last couple of years. Oh. Big, big crop of basil. And what I do with the basil is, um, uh, and a tip for the basil, you have to keep cutting off the flowers that form. Um, and you'll get right. tremendous growth. But you really have to watch it and go out there every day and cut off those flowers. And uh, <laughs> then, of course, you pick off the leaves. That's a great I'll, tip, though. Yeah, I make pesto with the basil and freeze that. So basil's very easy mm-hmm. to uh, preserve uh, that way. Uh, another thing I love to have in the garden is chives. Um, and they will pretty mm-hmm. much grow through the winter, actually. Um, they, they form a big clump. And if they look scraggly, you just cut them back and they grow again. So uh, the chives is a very mm-hmm. satisfactory one to grow. And what I love about chives is they, um, they're like the first one to bloom and the bees love them. Yes. Oh, and the bees loved my I'm going to try to add more chives. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then I started cutting the flowers off and the bees went away. <laughs> uh, but, um, and another uh, really easy to grow is rhubarb. Um, you know, you just plunk those plants in and you get two or three crops a year. Um, my husband makes stewed rhubarb or we make a uh, rhubarb pie. Um, and rhubarb is very expensive in the market. So it's a great, that rhubarb is a great one to grow. Very easy. Okay. So what do you do with rhubarb? What's stewed rhubarb? So you just chop off the rhubarb. You put it in a pot with some water. Uh, we like to put a lot of grated ginger in there. A little bit of a sweetener. Mm. You can use maple syrup, organic sugar, whatever. And just cook it. Uh, you could add some chopped, excuse me, some chopped apples to that, and it makes delicious dessert. Uh, or you can freeze it, and then you go ahead and freeze it. That sounds yummy. I've never heard yeah. of adding apples and ginger. Mm. Okay, yeah, I thought I asked that. Okay, yeah. so then, what's your favorite activity to do in the garden? Uh, well, I think the favorite is planting in the spring because there's always so much hope and anticipation <laughs> when you're planting. Okay. How about what's the best gardening advice you've ever received? Gee, I don't know. Um, I think uh, the last year, the best advice I got was that I need to put some fertilizer on my tomatoes. So we're definitely going to try that this okay. year. How about do you have a favorite tool? Like if you had to move and could only take one tool with you, what would you? What could you not live without? Well, I like a tr- a, tr- a narrow trowel. You can use it as a trowel. You okay. can, um, yeah, you know, you can plant a trowel. Uh, that's I would be my narrow my favorite tool. Uh, by the way, one thing I really do like 
I really do like uh, is the soaking watering system from gardeners.com. And you, you can, Ooh, like yes. I have this on my raised beds. Between the beds, I have a regular hose, section of regular hose. And then on the beds, you have the soaker hose. And you can cut and attach and, and really customize it uh, for your garden. And I did the same thing in the greenhouse. Every row, I had a soaker hose. And then between the rows, you just have regular um, regular hose. And I had that all hooked up to the tap with timers. So, uh, it, you know, watering was all automatic. And you can set it all up yourself. Oh, my goodness. I'm so glad I talked to you today. You are like the golden seed dropper of the century. And I just talked to like, um, so two of my guests, you're completely complimenting. Like the one episode I'm trying to edit today is my friend Dacia, but she talks a lot about the um, eating the healthy fats just like you are. And I brought her on to talk about an earth friendly life because she's not a big gardener either. But she's just like the epitome of a healthy person. And and, her, and I'm always so surprised. I'm always like, she's like, yeah, you can eat yogurt, but don't buy that low-fat yogurt. And don't buy low-fat milk. And make sure you get those healthy fats in there. And, yes, and then right. the other um, one is this other woman that I talked to who was talking about her little small backyard garden and her automatic drip hose was her tool yes. that she recommended. And yes. it's funny because my husband was reading my little... We're working on like this ebook that kind of expands yeah. those, um, you know, ways to spend more time in your garden and be more effective. And he was like, well, this, you know, automatic water system, that's really for big farmers. Do backyard gardeners care about that? And I was like, yeah, I think they do. So oh, oh, it you're just totally makes all the like difference. meeting two of it, my pain points right there. Well, and the thing yeah. is here in, in Maryland in the summer, it's so hot. You have to water every day or you lose things. But with the automatic, you just switch it to every day and it's done. So, yeah, I don't think I would even attempt uh, gardening here in Maryland without the automatic watering system. And it also is uh, it saves water because you're just soaking. I was just going to say that. Mm -hmm. I have this book that I've been working on for years now called The Green Queen. And she's like this, you know, little girl and she has like this magic wand that's like a sunflower. And she goes around like, you know, telling everybody what they can do to be green. And one of the pictures is her like yelling at the guy on the golf course about watering in the middle of the daytime. Yeah. And then she's like saying, you know, she really beams when she sees people doing things she likes. And she likes the people that, you know, really save their water when they're, you know, water in the morning or water in the evening, not in the middle of the day, you know, when your water's going to soak in. And I think that would make a great page, like using a soaker hose, using an automated water system and just, you know, making sure you're saving water. And we talked the other day too about like, I always say, cause we just dug a well two years ago up until then we had a really very limited, we had just a shallow well and a really limited yeah. amount of water. So when you have a limited amount of water, you make sure that water only goes to the roots. Exactly. Like water a lot of weeds, but yeah, it is yeah. definitely takes a lot of time. And yeah. so when you're somebody who works full time like you do and has a lot going mm -hmm. on, it's nice to have that automated system to help. I love the idea with using the timer system. That's a great. Yes. One. Yes. Yeah. So it's a really so, good system. It's a gardeners.com. I haven't seen it anywhere else. And you've got these little couplers that you can attach. So you can attach a soaker hose to a length of regular hose. So you can just put the soaker hose where you want it. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, I'll link that up in the show notes. Mm -hmm. uh, 
So do you have a specific favorite recipe that you like to cook from the garden that you haven't told us about yet? You've given us. Well, I think it's uh, the, so I told you what I did with the tomatoes. Uh, you peel and seed mm-hmm. the tomatoes, you chop them up, uh, you cook some onions, and then you cook the tomatoes, and you pretty much cook them all day long. So they really boil down and caramelize a little bit. And uh, then you can add a chicken stock and cook a little bit, uh, um, blend that, and add creme fraiche, and you have the most delicious tomato soup you can possibly imagine. Mmm, oh, I love that, and it's homemade tomato soup. I'm gonna try that. A little creme fraiche. I think my mom uses that stuff. Yeah. Uh, how about a favorite internet resource? Would that be your gardeners.com? I think gardeners.com. That's where I got the soaker hoses. I've my little cages that I put over my beans. That are they're very pretty and they look nice in the garden. I like those. Some of their products I have have not worked for me like. They had these kind of tents that you unfold and you put them over your uh, lettuce or whatever in the winter, and they, they blew away. <laughs> they just didn't stay. I couldn't. Oh. I couldn't put enough of those little pins in to keep them from blowing away. Okay. How about a favorite reading material or book? What about tell? Are you going to tell us about your Paris book? Oh, <laughs> well, that's that not really about book? gardening. <laughs> uh, the book, it's called An American Family in Paris. And, you know, most of my writing has been about health and uh, nutrition. And people always ask me about my life. You know, they want to know about my life. So I, the three most interesting and exciting years of my life were the years that we lived in Paris. And my family, I had four oh. children, one of whom was born in Paris. And we lived, we decided to live right downtown, right in Paris, in an apartment. And, um, and just kind of experience the whole life. And our children were put into a bilingual school, so they were mostly going to school with, going to school mostly with French children and learning to speak French. So um, I wrote this up. It's called An American Family in Paris. It's a short little book with, with illustrations. And I've, um, I've gotten a lot of good feedback. It's, it's funny. It's very light and funny and all the funny things that happen to us and the, a lot of funny observations about the French and the French lifestyle. Okay, cool. Uh, well, I can't wait to read it. I just went to Paris for the first time ever in February, so it's pretty much on my mind and just yeah. exciting to hear. And I saw yeah. that and I was like, oh, look at this cute little... And then, like, my all-time dream is to be a children's book illustrator, so it kind of oh, matched my well, you might be interested in the right illustrations there. in this book, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so right, are you ready for... Is there anything we've forgotten or are you ready? I think we... Yeah. We've covered a lot, <laughs> and I can. Um, we'll wait and see how I do this year. We've just um, kind of redoing things, adding our compost, getting all the mounts ready. So we'll see how I do. Okay. So, uh, well, I do kind of ask, like, since you have a business, do you have any advice for listeners about how to either, like, you know, get started in the industry, like, if they wanted to start having a farm, either you know, a, a dairy farm or a vegetable farm or any kind of farm? Well, or you know, I, I used, or... yeah, I used to be very casual about saying, oh, it's great. I, you should have a farm. 
but I'm not, I'm not so, um, uh, I don't do it without warning anymore because you need a lot of resources to get your farm going. First of all, you need at least two people who know how to work really hard and you do need some money. Um, you cannot start from nothing. Now, if you already have a farm with the infrastructure, you already have your cows, uh, your hoop houses, whatever, and you want to switch to organic, that's one thing. But if you're starting with nothing, that is very, very difficult. And um, so I'm not so casual about telling people, oh, it's you should go into farming. It's a hard lifestyle and you, you need resources at the beginning. I think that's excellent advice. And that does kind of follow up just with this other. So the next episode after my friend DC is going to be this woman, Julia Shanks, who wrote a a book and it has a course coming out in January on how to, if you're going to do the farm. And she asks a lot of those important questions to help you decide, am I really dedicated to this? Is this really the Mm -hmm. thing for me? And then also she talks a lot about how to make the numbers work. So if you do try it, you are profitable because she talks a lot about examples of farms who have been in business for years and seem like, you know, there's lots of money coming in and there's lots of money going out. And they're like, why don't I have a big bank account full? And she really helps people like how to make those numbers, like see what, you know, maybe you love growing tomatoes and you're growing all these tomatoes, but you're only making 12 cents a pound. Whereas, you know, you're making $2 a pound on, you know, lettuce or something else. And she's like, she helps you really figure out where your numbers are so but I think um, in the beginning of her book she says a lot of what you're saying like you might love working outside and you might love the idea of farming but you have to realize it's a business and you're going to spend 50% of your time doing business things like books yes, and yeah. selling so and you marketing need to and be hiring able to, and yeah. you know your yeah, days you are going to be long be and keep, the, keep books um, now we have a staff I mean we have five full-time people and several part-time people on our farm. So um, I do the books. I um, do all the permits. We have we have about 10 permits that we need. Um, I'm, like I'm in charge of safety, and, and then uh, our farm manager does marketing. So, yeah, you it's, it's a business. If you just want to be outside, I would mm-hmm. – do something else and have a vegetable garden, you know, don't, don't have a farm and don't expect to make money on a farm. I think that's excellent advice. I knew you're just full of tons of golden seeds today that listeners are going to just love this interview. Okay. So here's my actual final question. If there's one change you would like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity or organization you're passionate about or a project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel, Sally, is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? Well, the most crucial in- uh, issue facing our planet today is the demise of the human race because of poor health. And we simply must get back to nutrient-dense foods, get off processed foods. Um, Processed foods lead to infertility. And we're not going to make it as a culture, as a civilization, unless we get back to the kind of foods that nourish us. And I would love for your listeners to look at the Weston A. Price Foundation, westonaprice.org, and become a member um, and uh, support the work we do. You've just been so eloquent and just gracious and shared a ton of knowledge and 
just inspiration, I think, and healthy, like nutritious guidance. And just, I'm so glad you took the time out today to uh, talk oh, to me. Thank you. Um, do you, do you just have a little inspirational tip or quote or anything to help motivate listeners to reach into the dirt and start their own garden? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, it's very, very satisfying. It's, it's just a lot of fun. And especially for someone like me and like I think a lot of your listeners, uh, you're doing so much work with our heads. We're in front of a computer all the time. And it's really good to just get out in the sun and the fresh air and, and dig in the dirt, put our, put our hands in the dirt. Excellent. Oh, thank you. Okay. Do you want to tell listeners how to connect with you and your farm? Again, it's the Weston A. Price Foundation. That's WestonAPrice.org. And then our farm, you can just Google Sally Fallon Farm and you'll find it. But the name of the farm is P.A. Bowen Farmstead. We're in Southern Maryland. And we do give tours of the farm. We talk about pasture and animals and, uh, you know, sustainable farming and that's at 11 o'clock on Saturdays and the best thing to do is go onto a Groupon and get a Groupon ticket because we do charge for the tour and that's 11 o'clock on Saturdays every Saturday all pretty much every Saturday yeah Mm -hmm. or during the season we're actually we do them through the winter yeah unless it's a really cold day yeah yeah wow Well, thank you so, so much for coming on and sharing with us today. I know this is just going to be one of the top downloaded episodes and people are going to love it. And just we appreciate all the hard work that you're doing. Well, thank you for having me, Jackie. And and, uh, good luck with your garden this coming year. If you know somebody who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast, we would just love it if you would share it with a friend. Thanks again for listening. And remember to grow.